Good morning, everybody. Um, well, a big thank you to Matt for uh, sharing a, or a little bit of his story uh, this morning. And as Matt said, if you want to hear the rest of the story, you can, you can ask him and he'll tell you, tell you more. Um, thank you to everybody who's uh, taken part uh, this morning, to Paul and to Gillian uh, for leading us in worship, um, to Colin and Emily who are on, on sound this morning. Um, I want to encourage you, I maybe haven't said this yet in uh, beginning this kind of series in the Sermon on the Mount, um, but I, as I often do, I want to encourage you to have your own kind of adventure with the Sermon on the Mount. Um, it's great. I, I'm, I'm glad that you're turning up here on a Sunday morning or whenever you, you catch up with, with this service. Uh, but I want to encourage you to take up the Sermon on the Mount and to be reading it for yourself. It's only three chapters. Uh, so I want to encourage you to read it often over these weeks as we're exploring it um, and to take your own notes and to write down your own questions um, and to kind of have your own conversation with Jesus uh, about the things that he says there. Um, and I really believe you'll get a lot more out of this series if you don't just turn up to be spoon-fed on a Sunday morning, uh, but really have your own exploration um, with uh, reading the Sermon on the Mount uh, for yourself. Let's take a moment uh, to remember where we are um, as we come back to the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus uh, is sitting to teach on the, on the hillside. Um, he's surrounded by his disciples who as we talked about last week, are a very ordinary bunch, a very unremarkable bunch, none of them particularly influential or important or uh, movers and shakers in their world. And around the disciples are the crowd, and the crowd are not only ordinary, but many of them people who are particularly broken or hurting or messy people. That's the kind of crowd that is gathered around Jesus. Um, We saw last week Jesus began by announcing to those disciples on that crowd that they are blessed because the kingdom of heaven is available and open to them. And we kind of thought about the surprise of that gospel declaration of blessing to the people who least expect it. Um, And now, as we come to the next part, um, Jesus speaks to this same unlikely crowd of messy people, these same ordinary, unremarkable disciples. And this is what he says. So keep, keep that crowd in mind as we read and hear what he says. He says uh, in chapter 5, verse 13, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I wonder, um, I wonder do you see or get immediately the surprise of this, um, the context, the scene, the crowd that is around Jesus. Um, imagine looking around at that ordinary kind of scruffy crowd and hearing Jesus say, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. And I wonder, can you imagine yourself thinking there must be some mistake? This is the wrong audience 
for that message. Uh, maybe we can imagine someone uh, speaking at a graduation ceremony at some prestigious university of people who are like the brightest and the best and the cream of the crop and saying you are the salt of the earth and you're the light of the world and you're going to go and make the world a better place. Uh, maybe you can imagine uh, a graduation from a Bible college uh, where people are getting ready to go and be missionaries and pastors and be sent off to do those kind of things and saying you're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world. But Jesus speaks to this ordinary crowd as we saw last week of the, the spiritually bankrupt, the heartbroken, the marginal, the overlooked, those who've been kind of beaten up by life. And he says, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. Um, I wonder if we bring it closer to home. Um, what about you? Um, I don't know what you see when you look in the mirror every day. I don't know if you see a success or a failure uh, if you see a, a spiritual giant or a, a kind of spiritual weakling. Um, I don't know if right now you're on fire for God or if you feel like you're kind of drifting a bit aimlessly. I don't know if you feel kind of confident that you have lots of gifts that can be a blessing to the world or if you feel like you don't have a whole lot to offer. Um, whatever you see when you look in the mirror, um, I want to say this to you this morning, that Jesus looks at you and says, you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And maybe whatever else we say this morning, the biggest question we need to ask is, do you believe him? Did he make a mistake in saying that to you? Did he mean everybody else in this church or in your group of friends, but not you? Um, I want us to notice that actually he doesn't say this as a command. He doesn't say, you must be the salt of the earth. You must try really hard to be the light of the world. He simply declares that this is who you are. This is your true identity. And so that's the big question I want you to take away even when we finish this morning. Do you believe Jesus when he says this about you? If you're a follower of Jesus, you're the salt of the earth and the light of the world. So let's think a little bit about salt. We're going to think kind of in detail about the salt and then a little bit more in general about the light. Um, but let's think about salt. Um, Jesus um, doesn't explain what qualities of salt he has in mind. Um, salt is used for all kinds of things. Um, but I think it's fair to say that it has two major purposes, uh, both in the time of Jesus and now. And the first one is that salt prevents decay. Um, salt is a preservative. It, it prevents food from going off, from going bad, from becoming rotten. Um, of course, that was even more important in the time of Jesus when they didn't have electric fridges and freezers and a lot of our modern canning techniques and all the rest. Um, this was incredibly important. Salt prevents decay. And there's something in human life that tends towards decay. I think you only have to look around at our world to see that this is true. Actually, you only have to look within to see that this is true, that very often we can even start out with very good intentions, but something goes wrong. And there's a rottenness that can come in and spoil things. There can be dishonesty 
and greed and selfishness and cruelty and unkindness and violence and sexual sin and addiction and on and on and on uh, that can come into the human story. Um, I think the rottenness is easy to see and it's powerful and it seems sometimes inevitable and unstoppable. But Jesus says to to his ordinary unimpressive disciples both then and now, you are the salt of the earth. By your presence in the world, you can literally stop the rot. You can slow the decay. Human life can be kept healthy and whole. Um, by the way, it's always important to say, um, God's biggest answer to the problem of, our, of that decay and that rottenness um, comes with Jesus on his cross, uh, where we can go to Jesus at the cross and bring our hearts and our nature and find healing of whatever is rotten within. And our nature can be healed by his wounds. We are healed. Our nature, our hearts get made whole. So that's God's big answer to the problem of human sin. But here is also a part of God's response. He sends his disciples into the world and says, you're the salt of the earth. You can prevent decay by your presence in the world. Um, The second thing that salt does uh, is that it brings out flavor. Um, One one mistake people make is to deny that there's such a thing as sin. Um, I think the opposite mistake sometimes is to think that there is nothing but sin, uh, to think that there's no goodness in the world. Uh, I don't think that's a biblical teaching. You go back to Genesis 1 and find that God made the world and its people and declared them to be good. And that original goodness has been distorted and it's been damaged by sin, but it hasn't been completely lost or obliterated. And again, I think you only have to have eyes to see that this is true, that the people around you, you and I, are capable of cruelty and dishonesty and greed and all the rest, but they're also capable of great kindness and courage and honesty. And that's not just Christian people, but our friends and neighbours of all beliefs and none. And here's where I think the image of salt can point in a very positive direction. So on the one hand, it prevents the slide and the decay. But here's the positive thing, that our presence as disciples of Jesus can bring out and enhance and encourage all that is good. As friends of mine used to say, we can encourage the good wherever we find it. Um, As the message uh, paraphrase puts this little bit of the Sermon on the Mount, you're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. So on the one hand, we can prevent decay. On the other hand, we can bring out what is good in our environment. So that's kind of two things that salt does. For some reason, my my thinking about salt keeps coming in two. So here's another two. Um, If we think about how how does salt um, do this work of preventing decay and of enhancing flavor? Here are two things that I think are important to reflect on. The first is that a little bit of salt can have a big impact. I think that's really important. You don't uh, pour bag loads of salt onto your your food. You can have a large quantity of food and mix in a relatively small amount of salt and it has a a big impact. And so for you and I, the world is a very big place and we can feel sometimes like we're few in number. But I think Jesus wants us to trust 
that a little salt can go a long way. Um, You might be the only Christian in your family. Maybe there are a few Christians in your class or in your workplace or in your street. Um, There's encouragement here for the lonely Christian. Um, I think this is important because our culture is changing at the minute from maybe a context in the past where Christians were the dominant majority to a post-Christian context where we may be increasingly a minority. Um, I think the image of the salt encourages us not to panic if that is happening. Because when we panic, we either hide away in fear or we get really loud and aggressive and think we need to make a big noise. But Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. And salt looks small and insignificant, but it has a powerful effect on everything it comes into contact with. The second thing about the way salt works is that the work of salt is often quiet and hidden. It's not loud or dramatic or flashy. Salt doesn't spark or explode as it does its work. The salt is mixed into the food and it then gets on with it. (laughs) You don't see it doing its work. Um, And I think this is often the way with the influence of the Christian in the world. Um, Maybe sometimes Christians are called the highly visible roles and get to play a part in changing the world in a big dramatic way. We might think of William Wilberforce or Martin Luther King, um, Christians in, in, uh, at lots of points in history. But I don't think that's the main way that disciples of Jesus change the world. How, how do disciples of Jesus change the world? By being scattered among our neighbours and then by a thousand small and hidden and undramatic acts by which we show the character of Jesus and the fruit of the Spirit, the light and life and love of Christ. That's how disciples of Jesus change the world. And I want to encourage you this morning, um, don't, don't underestimate the impact one faithful disciple of Jesus can have in a family or in a workplace or in a neighbourhood by choosing to be honest when others are being dishonest, by choosing to be kind when others are being cruel, by choosing to befriend the lonely or the unlovely, by choosing to be faithful and trustworthy, by choosing to show grace to those who wrong you, by choosing to speak words of encouragement when everybody else is gossiping, and so on. Um, Don't underestimate the impact that a disciple of Jesus can have by those quiet acts day by day. Um, so that's two, two pairs of twos about the salt. I've got one more. Um, if you and I, um, Jesus talks about us being salt, but he also talks about the possibility of salt losing its saltiness. Um, how, how, I'm, I'm going to leave the salt aside for now and not push the metaphor too far, but I want to think about us um, how, how might it be uh, that we as disciples of Jesus could lose our saltiness if Jesus is warning us not to let that happen? And again, I think there are two uh, very different ways in which that can happen. Um, it can happen when we allow ourselves to be shaped by our culture and kind of go with the flow, when we blend in with the world around us and just soak in the values that are in the water, in the air around us. Romans 12 verse 2 says when we're conformed to the pattern of this world. 
when we become indistinguishable, when we're no longer distinctive. Um, And usually that happens by a slow process of drip, 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 that we end up blending in and losing our savour, losing our saltiness. Um, I think we can also lose our saltiness in maybe a more surprising way, which is this, that we can stay in the salt shaker, that we can decide the world is too dangerous with too many temptations and seductions and compromises, and so we're going to hide away in a Christian bunker and wait for Jesus to come back and have as little contact with the world as possible. And you would think that if we do that, if we stay in the salt shaker, that would keep us salty. But I think actually, in fact, we become bland and tasteless and boring. We lose our spiritual zest and life and savour because we're not meant for life in the salt shaker. We're meant to be scattered in the world. And so Jesus prayed for his disciples in John 17, verse 15, and he said, I do not pray that you would take them out of the world, but that you would protect them from the evil one. Or we might say that you would keep them salty as they live in the world. So there's our two and two and two in thinking about salt. Um, If I was to ask the positive question, um, how then do we stay salty? I'm not going to answer that one at the minute. I'm going to leave that one hanging. But I wonder how you would answer that. If we want to stay salty um, as as we live in the world, what do we need to do? What's the key to staying salty? I'm going to leave that one hanging and we might um, come up with some kind of answer by the end. But I want to switch over and think about light for a few minutes. Um, I'm not going to go through light systematically as we did with salt. Um, I think light, like salt, uh, you could say perhaps has both a a kind of negative role and a positive role. Um, Light, on the one hand, reveals what is hidden in shadow, what is hidden in the dark. And that can be kind of uncomfortable. It brings things to light that we may not want uh, made visible. But then on the other hand, light also has this tremendously positive role. It reveals beauty. It reveals color. It enables us to see. It brings life. It brings healing. It allows us to see where we're going. And so like, like salt, light has both maybe an uncomfortable role and then this beautiful life giving role. Um, I've heard people say sometimes that um, maybe being salt is about our lives and our actions and the light is about evangelism, about sharing the words of the gospel with others. Uh, I don't think, or I'm not convinced that's quite right, um, because when Jesus talks about the light, you may have noticed he specifically focuses on our actions. He says, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So I think with both the salt and the light, the focus is on the character of our lives as we live in the world. That's something distinctive about us that has an impact on those around us. And I know I've read this quotation before, but it's one I come back to often um, from Madeleine Lengel, who said, we draw people to Christ not by loudly discrediting what they believe, by telling them how wrong they are and how right we are, but by showing them a light that is so lovely that they want with all their hearts to know the source of it. And I think for me, that's the heart of both the salt and the light. 
um, that they draw people in, that they make people curious, that they make people wonder what brings about this quality in our lives. So both the salt and the light are primarily about a character in our living. On the other hand, um, Jesus does say people are to see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. And that's not going to happen, I think, if they don't know who we belong to, if they don't know we belong to our Father in heaven, if they don't know we belong to Jesus. And so it does suggest that we need to be people who are open about our faith in Jesus and ready to give an answer to anybody who asks us to give a reason for the hope that we have, anybody who asks about that quality of saltiness and light that's in our lives. We're ready to speak. We're open about our faith. Um, But I think uh, it's obvious to all of us those words are going to have much more credibility and power when our lives are full of that light so lovely uh, that Madeleine Langle talks about. Um, So that's a couple of little quick things about light, but I want to focus on one big thing about the light. Um, There's one, I think there's one big difference between salt and light. And that is that the work of salt, as we said, is mostly hidden and quiet. The work of light, on the other hand, is very visible. Jesus says, let your light shine before others. Um, And I think for some of us, that's the bit that can kind of make us uncomfortable. Uh, Maybe some of us have been thinking as we've been talking, I think I could have a go at being the salt of the earth. Uh, That sounds kind of modest and unassuming, um, just to get on with doing that quietly uh, in my life. But to shine brightly seems a bit beyond us. Uh, Maybe we can all think of people we know who light up a room when they walk into it, who just shine and sparkle by who they are. But most of us don't feel that that's us. We don't feel we can do that. I wonder, can we think about this in a way that might help us? Um, I think the trouble arises when we think that this is something that we do ourselves, that we need to find the resources in ourselves to shine. And so some of us go out there and try and paint on a big shiny smile and do our best to kind of sparkle for Jesus everywhere we go. But I don't know about you, but trying to sparkle and shine all the time becomes kind of exhausting. And for many of us, we then lose heart and decide to leave the shining brightly to others and maybe, maybe we'll just focus on being salt. Um, but I want to encourage you to pay, pay maybe closer attention to the, to the actual words of Jesus at this point. What does Jesus say? He doesn't say, try really hard to be shiny. <laughs> he says, let your light shine. If you remember your grammar in English class. He's speaking in the passive voice rather than the active. He assumes that there is a light in you. And the main thing you actually need to do is to not hide it. Don't put it under a bowl. Don't put it under a bucket. The light is there. Just let it shine. That's what Jesus says. Um, And I think for me, as I wrestle with, uh, with these words, which I can find uncomfortable, I think the key is to remember that the Jesus who said to us, you are the light of the world, um, also said this in John 8, verse 12. He said, I am the light of the world. 
And I think if you, if you check in with yourself at this point, most of us have no trouble believing this, right? You believe that Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus shines with this kind of beautiful light across 2,000 years of history. And he lights up every page he's on in the Bible and every scene he steps into, he shines. Um, Albert Einstein, um, who didn't call himself a Christian, talked about how he was constantly fascinated by the figure of Jesus and he called him that luminous Nazarene. That's what he called him. There's a light that shines from Jesus. But this same Jesus lives within you by his spirit. And again, maybe as often the question we have to ask is, do you believe this? Um, Our most urgent task for you and I um, is not to go and try and dazzle the world with our brilliance. It's to stay close to Jesus. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Do you know the next words he said? He said, whoever follows me, whoever sticks close to me, will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Right? The, the urgent task for you and I is to stay close to Jesus, keep company with Jesus, and then go and keep company with other people. And they will take note that you have been with Jesus because they will see his light shining within you and from you. Um, Leslie Newbigin, uh, who was a remarkable character, who was a missionary in India for a lot of his life and, and wrote a lot of great books about mission. Uh, but he said something like this, and I couldn't find the exact quote uh, this week, but he said something like this, that Christians are those who live with their faces turned towards the rising sun. So that when our neighbours and those around us look at us, they see the light lighting up our face. And then they turn to see what it is that we're looking at. And I think that, that's a beautiful description of what it means for us to be the light of the world. Um, can I tell you one little thing that I think is kind of a, a puzzle and a mystery? You can think about this later on. Um, but I think this is true, that if we try really hard to shine our own light and dazzle everybody with our, our own uh, self-expression, we end up becoming very much like everybody else. Um, lots of people expressing themselves end up very alike. But if we look for Jesus and his light, we actually become more and more the unique individual that God created us to be. Um, so there's a little paradox or a little puzzle uh, that you can think about, but I think that is true. Um, so let me finish here. Um, we asked earlier on, um, how do we stay salty? And in the end, I'm giving you a very simple uh, kind of message this morning. How do we stay salty? Stay close to Jesus. Keep company with him. Fix your eyes on him. How do we shine brightly? Same answer. Stay close to Jesus. Keep company with him. Fix your eyes on him. Um, you'll need to, to go and work out how to do this in practice. Um, uh, and it's a, it's a good question to think about this week. What are the daily habits and choices that will allow you to keep company with Jesus, that will enable you to abide in him and stay close to him so that his light gets into you? And then what are the daily choices and habits that you need to make that will allow you to get out of the salt shaker and out from under the bucket and go and share life with your neighbours? The challenge this morning that I'm kind of giving to you is a very simple one. Figure out how to keep company with Jesus. 
figure out how to keep company with others. Uh, and we'll find that these words of Jesus are being fulfilled in our lives. I'm, I'm always amazed. Um, this is, I think, God's primary strategy for changing the world. Um, we always think it's going to be through uh, big events or slick programs or famous speakers. But God's primary strategy for changing the world is through ordinary, flawed disciples like you and me who keep company with Jesus, the light of the world, and then keep company with those around us so that our, our friends and neighbours get to see what it looks like for God's grace to live in an ordinary human being. So they see the light of Christ reflected in our faces. Um, and so let me finish just with the words of Jesus again and ask you, do you believe them this morning? Um, he says to you, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Um, let's pray together. Um, then we're going we're gonna to sing a couple of songs to finish this morning. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for um, these remarkable words of Jesus. Um, I want to thank you that you've given us um, the tremendous dignity of this purpose for our lives, that you send us into the world to be both salt and light. And I want to, I want to pray that we would feel this morning the, the privilege of that and the dignity of that, but maybe also the challenge of it. Father, we confess uh, that when we go out into the world and try really hard to change the world and try really hard to impact the world ourselves, um, we don't get very far and we end up burning out and getting weary. Um, it's our prayer this morning that you would teach us how to keep company with Jesus, the light of the world. We want to pray that as we look at him, we would be transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from your spirit living within us. Father, teach us what it means to go out, um, to not stay in the salt shaker, but to go and share life with our friends and neighbours and colleagues. And Father, as we do that, I, we want to pray that they would see something in our lives that is an evidence of your grace at work in our lives and the light of Jesus in us. Father, we feel very much how ordinary we are as human beings and, and as disciples of yours. But we want to pray this morning, help us to believe that you want to use ordinary people like us to be a blessing to the world um, as your grace and your light is seen in us. Uh, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's sing together.